Section 7 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Interstate Conflict, Chances Rising Few interstate conflicts have occurred for almost a decade, and no major power war has erupted since 1939, constituting the longest era of major power peace during the past five centuries. Footnote. This information is from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, SIPRI, Yearbook 2011. The SIPRI classifies a conflict that has a core intrastate dynamic and attracts outside actors as an intrastate conflict rather than an interstate one. Also see Bruno Tertras' article, The Demise of Ares, The End of War as We Know It, The Washington Quarterly, Summer 2012. End footnote. Scholars account for this in several ways. There have been few, if any, periods in the past when global power has been distributed as incongruously as it is today. U.S. military capabilities are unmatched by any other plausible combination of powers and are likely to remain so for decades to come. New powers are rising, but they stand to benefit from the existing international order and are therefore status quo oriented. An increasing number of countries has consciously or implicitly chosen to maintain military capabilities far below their inherent capabilities. This reflects their assessment of the modern utility of using force to achieve political objectives and perhaps their belief that they have little to fear regarding the threat of major war in the near future. Nevertheless, we and other experts believe that the risks of interstate conflict are increasing owing to changes in the international system. The underpinnings of the current post-Cold War equilibrium are beginning to shift. If the United States is unwilling or less able to serve as the global security provider by 2030, the world will be less stable. If the international system becomes more fragmented and existing forms of cooperation are no longer as seen as advantageous to many of the key global players, the potential for competition and conflict also will increase. Three different baskets of risks could conspire to increase the chances of an outbreak. Changing calculations of key players, contention over resource issues, and a wider spectrum of more accessible instruments of war. In addition, the chances are growing that regional conflicts particularly in the Middle East and South Asia, will spill over and ignite a wider conflagration. The Middle East most likely will remain the most volatile region, even as it moves toward greater democratization. Fledgling democracies have a higher risk of backsliding and instability. Endemic rivalries, such as between Iran and its neighbors, would be inflamed if Iran decided to develop nuclear weapons. Many of these conflicts, once begun, would not be easily containable, 
and would have global impacts. The increasing empowerment of non-state actors, such as Hezbollah, in the region has the potential to further escalate any conflicts. Instability in South Asia would also have strong global repercussions, as the region increasingly becomes the driver for global economic growth. Indo-Pak tensions remain at the forefront. We are concerned, for example, about an escalation in tensions should another major terrorist attack occur on Indian soil emanating from territory under Pakistan's control. A conflict-ridden East Asia would constitute a key global threat and cause large-scale damage to the global economy. We address the possibility of regional conflicts with global consequences in Game Changer 4. Changing Calculations of Key Players The strategic calculations of the emerging powers, whose regional and global interests are in flux, are likely to change dramatically over the next 15 to 20 years. Heated debates are occurring among China's elites, for example, regarding whether China should move away from its traditional policies, not having overseas bases or major military alliances, and not interfering in the internal affairs of other countries as its overseas interests expand. The outcome of these debates will be critical indicators of whether China intends to become a global superpower, which in turn will have major implications for the prospect of future great power competition. Historical parallels with other great power rises suggest that Chinese assertiveness might increase as its economic growth slows and there is political need at home to demonstrate China's standing in the world. With growing economic ties and dependencies in both the Persian Gulf region and Asia, India's worldview is expanding rapidly. Despite booming bilateral trade and economic relations between Beijing and New Delhi, the India-China relationship is clouded by mistrust. This situation probably won't change as both powers grow simultaneously, a first for Asia, where one power has usually dominated. India's concern is fueled by what it perceives as a Chinese policy of containment that threatens India's rise. China's continuing cooperation with Pakistan on nuclear and missile developments its growing assertiveness in its territorial claims, and opposition to New Delhi's participation in regional and global forums are likely to remain irritants and shape India's strategic outlook. Russia's strategic calculations will depend to a great extent on whether Russian leaders decide to increase Russia's integration into the international system and mitigate the threat of future armed conflict, or whether they choose to continue Russia's relative isolation and mistrust of others, exacerbating interstate tensions. Russia has serious concerns regarding the threat posed by a rapidly expanding China, particularly Beijing's growing appetite for natural resources, which could eventually encroach upon the Russian Far East and Siberia. 
Russian leaders believe that they need to be wary of the potential for the U.S. and NATO to intervene in a conflict involving Russia and one of the former Soviet republics. Europe almost certainly will remain very cautious about the use of force and military intervention. The Europeans probably will continue to perceive that their primary security challenges result from globalization. These include threats that stem from WMD proliferation, cyber threats directed at critical infrastructures, including space assets, and threats resulting from the competition for resources or the influx of refugees from potential zones of instability. Severe budget constraints for the foreseeable future are likely to force European countries to integrate European defense resources, causing the military gap between Europe and the new global powers to be reduced over time. With more defense cooperation, the Europeans could play a greater role in future multilateral operations, particularly in humanitarian interventions. The United States also is likely to face budgetary constraints at the same time that, like Europe, its global security challenges are multiplying. As such, the U.S. overall will be grappling with how much it can continue to play the role of systemic guardian and guarantor of the international system. For a fuller discussion of the U.S. role, see Section 10 later in this LibriVox recording. This may play out in several different arenas. The United States' historic role as security guarantor in Asia, including its substantial on-the-ground military presence, puts it in a competitive position with rising Asian states, particularly China, who desire greater regional roles for themselves. Continuing U.S. protection of the sea lanes, particularly in the Persian Gulf, and extending both to Europe and through the Indian Ocean to East Asia are likely to be welcomed by most countries in those regions. However, tensions, particularly with China, probably will grow over the U.S. role. Chinese strategists worry that China's dependence on the U.S. for sea lane security will be a strategic vulnerability for China in a future conflict, such as over Taiwan where the U.S. might impose an oil embargo. In response, China is building up its naval power and developing land-bound energy transportation routes to diversify its access to energy, with the potential for humanitarian disasters to grow in scope. U.S. military assets, such as lift and intelligence information, will be key for the success of broad-based global efforts. New sources of friction in a resource-constrained world. Allied with the changing security outlooks are increasing tensions over resources. Access to key resources, minerals in addition to energy, will be vital to many developing states' continued rapid economic growth, and these states will be increasingly dependent on outside sources. The potential for disputes to grow over seabed rights 
is particularly striking in several regions, the South China Sea and the Indian, Arctic, and South Atlantic Oceans. Not only are the territorial claims unsettled, but new technologies are increasingly able to tap deep seabed resources. Nevertheless, the relevant countries know that engaging in conflict over these resources would jeopardize their exploitation. This might prove to be a deterrent. Water may become a more significant source of contention than energy or minerals out to 2030 at both the intrastate and interstate levels. Although water stress exists in the United States and Mexico and along the western coast of South America, the world's major belt of water stress lies across northern Africa, the Middle East, Central and Southern Asia, and northern China. Footnote. Water stress is present when a country's or region's annual water supply is less than 1,700 cubic meters per person per year. End footnote. These stresses are increasing because this is also the zone of the largest projected population growth during the next 15 to 20 years. Across this central belt, there are numerous well-known watersheds of significance, including the Nile, the Tigris and Euphrates, the Indus, the Ganges, the Mekong, the Yellow, and the Yangtze rivers. Except for the Yangtze and Mekong, all of these are under moderate, the Nile and Ganges, to high stress, and the Mekong is at least temporarily under high stress as a result of drought and Chinese reservoir filling. The lesser, and in many cases less well-known watersheds across this belt, including the Jordan in Israel-Palestine, the Kura-Ural, and Kizilimek, adjacent to the Tigris and Euphrates, and largely in Turkey, Sir Daria and Amu Daria, at one time more substantial rivers feeding the Aral Sea, and Lake Balkash and Tarim in Central Asia, are mostly under high stress. Across northern Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, and Iran, considerable territory has no notable watersheds and is therefore heavily dependent on fossil and imported water, including virtual water imports, such as agricultural goods like meat, fruit, and vegetables, using high levels of water to produce. Historically, water tensions have led to more water-sharing agreements than violent conflicts, but a number of risks could change this past pattern, including high levels of population growth in affected areas and rapid changes in the availability of water such as, for example, from severe droughts. Intrastate disruptions and conflicts probably are more likely to be the immediate result as pressures build within countries for relief and migration from impacted areas puts added strains on other areas. However, the fact that many of the river basins in the most affected water-stressed areas are shared means that interstate conflict cannot be ruled out, 
especially in light of the other tensions ongoing between many of these countries. A Redefined Ocean Geography by 2030 With the shift in economic power from west to east and south, and changing climatic conditions, the world's geographic focus will also change. The Pacific and Indian Ocean basins are already the fastest growing commercial hubs for the exchange of goods, services, and people, a trend that will intensify. With the growing competition for resources, the regions below, which are rich in natural resources, will also be of prime importance. Indian Ocean Although the Indian Ocean Maritime Region currently ranks fifth out of nine regions for global security, as classified by Lloyd's Maritime Intelligence Unit, behind Northern Europe, the Pacific, the Far East, and the Mediterranean Black Sea, the region is becoming an important avenue for global trade and arena for geopolitical competition. It has significant deposits of primary raw materials that are vital to the world's economy, such as bauxite, chromite, coal, copper, gold, iron ore, natural gas, nickel, oil, phosphates, titanium, tungsten, uranium, and zinc. The region's fisheries also are a key part of food security and regional livelihoods. South China Sea The difficulty of determining national jurisdiction has been exacerbated by coastal states' interest in the exploitation of fisheries and control of potential energy resources. Overlapping claims by China and several ASEAN states could lead to more confrontation, if not conflict. Coastal states' efforts to increase their maritime jurisdiction pose a cumulative threat to the military and commercial interests of all maritime states. Arctic By 2030, it will be possible to transit both the Northern and Northwest Passage for about 110 days per year with about 45 days easily navigable. However, use of the Arctic for commercial purposes will depend on Arctic coastal infrastructure development, agreed safety standards for commercial vessels, and the availability of adequate search and rescue capabilities. The use by Arctic states of the Arctic Council to develop common policies reduces the potential for disagreements to lead to conflict. At the same time, climate change and related events, such as the melting of Arctic ice, will continue to propel a globalization of interest in the Arctic. The U.S. Energy Information Administration estimates that the Arctic could hold about 22 percent of the world's undiscovered conventional oil and natural gas resources. But exploiting such resources involves greater expense, risk, and a longer timeline than elsewhere in the world. An array of interested parties plan to expand scientific research and invest in assets such as icebreakers that give themselves legitimacy as Arctic actors. Spreading Lethal Technologies the next 15 to 20 years will see a wider spectrum of more accessible instruments of war, 
especially precision strike capabilities, cyber instruments, and bioterror weaponry. The commercial availability of key components, such as imagery, and almost universal access to precision navigation GPS data is accelerating the difference of precision strike capabilities to state and non-state actors, which we expect will be widespread by 2030. The proliferation of precision-guided weapons would allow critical infrastructures to be put at risk by many more potential adversaries. This could create a fundamentally new security dynamic in regions like the Middle East with multiple contending forces. The proliferation of long-range precision weapons and anti-ship missile systems would pose significant challenges to U.S. or NATO to forward deploy forces, limiting in-theater options for military action. It could discourage third parties from cooperating because of fears of becoming a victim of more precision targets with greater lethal consequences. More accurate weapons could lead attackers to become overconfident in their military capabilities and therefore more apt to employ such systems. Precision also may give attackers a false sense of their abilities to tailor attacks to create specific narrow effects. Cyber weapons can take various forms, including viruses, self-replicating programs that require human action to spread, worms, a subclass of viruses that can spread without human action, Trojan horses, malicious software hidden within a legitimate program, denial of service attacks, bombarding servers with messages to make them crash, and phishing, rogue emails and websites that trick people into revealing password information. Potential cyber war scenarios include coordinated cyber weapon attacks that sabotage multiple infrastructure assets simultaneously. One scenario involves a case where power, the internet, cash machines, broadcast media, traffic lights, financial systems, and air traffic software simultaneously failed for a period of weeks. The trends in cyber attacks so far suggest that although some computer systems are more secure than others, few, if any, systems can claim to be completely secure against a determined attack. For some attackers, cyber warfare offers other advantages that have seldom been the case for most warfare, anonymity, and low buy-in costs. These attributes favor the employment by disaffected groups and individuals who want to sow mayhem. Growing interconnectivity of devices and software, including greater use of the cloud between systems, will increase the vulnerabilities of technology leaders, including the U.S., to attack. Current trends suggest that deep interconnectivity between different software systems and devices is likely to become the norm enabling remote access to all kinds of systems that are offline today. More and more everyday actions will have a digital component. Boarding a bus, buying groceries, entering a meeting room. As societies become more dependent on software and systems become more interconnected, the potential levels of damage that cyber weapons will be able to inflict will increase. 
quote. Terrorists for the moment appear focused on causing mass casualties, but this could change as they understand the scope of the disruptions that can be caused by cyber warfare, end quote. There are few alternatives to the Internet. One response would be to create disconnected networks, which would be less efficient but safer from cyber attacks. Authoritarian regimes are already taking such steps. For example, Iran has created a national internet. Over the long term, however, organizations and individuals will likely have to work hard to get offline or carry out actions without leaving a digital trace. As with the broad array of potential targets, Everything from military systems to electricity grids, communications, networks, and financial systems, so too are potential cyber saboteurs widely varied. So far, the cyber weapons wielded by criminals and malicious individuals are unsophisticated in comparison to state actors, but this is likely to improve as criminal organizations become more adept and potentially sell their services to those state and non-state actors with even more dangerous intentions. Terrorists, for the moment, appear focused on causing mass casualties, but this could change as they understand the scope of the disruptions that can be caused by cyber warfare. Countries with nuclear weapons could be tempted to explode a nuclear device to wipe out their opponent's ability to maintain connectivity. Many current systems cannot operate in hostile electromagnetic or radiated environment. In this instance, nuclear first use would not be used to harm humans as much as to deny opponents use of electronic systems. Space, ocean, and near coastal bottlenecks could be areas of nuclear use with little human collateral damage. A cyber arms race is likely to occur as states seek to defend both public and private infrastructures against state and non-state actors, as well as to incorporate cyber and other debilitating physical attacks into their arsenals of strategy and weaponry. The degree to which cyber instruments will shape the future of warfare is unclear, however. Historians of war believe cyber power may end up somewhat akin to early 20th century projections of the decisiveness of air power. Although air power played a significant role in 20th century conflicts, it never achieved what its most ardent enthusiasts claimed it would, an independent war-winning capability. Cyber power may be as important off the battlefield in terms of the ability of information technology enabling the emergence of networked social movements that can create large economic, political, and security effects. The potential opened up by information technology is for future do-it-yourself revolutions conducted by networked social movements that employ information technologies which communicate and collaborate with like-minded individuals. Advances in synthetic biology also have the potential to be a double-edged sword and become a source of lethal weaponry accessible to do-it-yourself biologists or biohackers. 
as costs decline and DNA sequencing and synthesis improve. Researchers are capitalizing on such advances in ways that are laying important foundations for the field's development. Because early commercialization efforts have capitalized on the supply of tools and low-cost materials to academic and commercial researchers, the bio-community has established an open access repository of standardized and interchangeable building block or biobrick biological parts that researchers can use. Such advances not only contribute to opportunities for exploring increasingly novel and valuable applications, they also raise the risk for unintended and intentional dual-use developments to occur. This will be particularly true as technology becomes more accessible on a global basis and, as a result, makes it harder to track, regulate, or mitigate bioterror, if not bioerror. To date, policy initiatives have focused on introducing reporting requirements on suppliers of goods, but such efforts could become futile as research becomes more diffuse. Recent trends suggest applications of the technology will continue to advance ahead of understanding all the risks. Absent efforts to strengthen regulatory frameworks to proactively manage risks, the greater access to synthetic biology increases chances of the development and use of bioweaponry by individuals or terrorist groups or release unintentionally of dangerous material through bioerror. The future of terrorism. Several circumstances are ending the current Islamist phase of terrorism which suggests that, as with other terrorist waves, the anarchists in the 1880s and 90s, the post-war anti-colonial terrorist movements, the New Left in 1970s, the recent religious wave is receding and could end by 2030. Terrorism is unlikely to die completely, however, because it has no single cause. The traditional use of the term root cause for understanding what drives terrorism is misleading. Rather, some experts point to the analogy of a forest fire, a mixture of conditions such as dry heat, a spark, and wind that leads to terrorism. A receding enemy. Although Al-Qaeda and others have focused on the United States, a clear enemy, the appeal of the United States as the great enemy is declining. The impending withdrawal of U.S. forces from Iraq and decreases in U.S. forces in Afghanistan help to reduce the extent to which terrorists can draw on the United States as a lightning rod for anger. Soon, U.S. support for Israel could be the last remaining major focus of Muslim anger. Moral Resurgence of Secular Democracy The Arab uprisings have demonstrated the moral and strategic legitimacy of nonviolent struggle. Protesters acted in the name of democratic values, not in the name of religion. Evaporation of Imagined War Although warfare is very real, it is also an imagined state, based on a narrative of an enemy 
and conflict between fundamental values. These perceptions can change, sometimes quickly. A new generation may simply view things differently and be less interested in an old narrative. Al-Qaeda core has been in decline for several years as the kings of Muslims diminished the organization's broad appeal. The war in Afghanistan cost Al-Qaeda its initial base and forced it to move into the more difficult environment in the tribal areas of Pakistan, and U.S. attacks killed many senior leaders and key operatives. In the short term, the Al-Qaeda Corps might still be able to launch attacks. Experts noted that organizations such as the Badr-Meinhof Group in the 1970s still did damage, even when facing similar problems as Al-Qaeda is today. Some Al-Qaeda affiliates and other types of Islamist terrorist organizations are likely to pose more serious threats, however. Shia groups such as Hezbollah will continue to see terrorism as a means to achieve their objectives. Taking a global perspective, future terrorists could come from many different religions, including Christianity and Hinduism. Right-wing and left-wing ideological groups, some of the oldest uses of terrorist tactics, also will pose threats. States Managing Terrorism Many states might continue to use terrorist groups. States choose to exploit terrorist movements out of a strong sense of insecurity. States such as Pakistan and Iran feel threatened by what they perceive as stronger threatening powers in their regions or globally. Therefore, they seek asymmetric options to assert power and deter attack, using terrorist groups as proxies and pursuing nuclear weapons are two such asymmetric tools. However, international disapproval of state support for terrorist movements has increased significantly, and the costs to a regime of directly supporting terrorists looks set to become even greater as international cooperation increases. More weapons and targets in the future. To date, most terrorists have focused on causing mass casualties, but this could change. The future will include very large vulnerabilities. Only a small number of people might understand critical cyber systems, for example, creating a risk that they could sell their services to the highest bidder, including terrorists who would focus less on mass casualties and more on widespread economic and financial disruptions. Potential New Shape of War If future state-on-state -state conflicts occur, they will most likely involve multiple forms of warfare. Future wars in Asia involving Russia, China, or India and Pakistan would risk use of nuclear weapons in addition to conventional military capabilities. Future conflicts in the Middle East might also include nuclear aspects if the proliferation of nuclear weapons continues. Conflicts with state-sponsored organizations, such as Hezbollah and Hamas, represent the middle ground in the spectrum of future warfare, because such adversaries would probably combine irregular warfare tactics and organizational concepts 
with advanced standoff weaponry and air defenses. The character of future wars will most likely be shaped ultimately by a number of ongoing and emerging military competitions. The dynamic created by these competitions, as well as the prospect of a clear winner eventually emerging, will help to define the character of the future security environment and any wars that take place within it. Access versus anti-access. The U.S. ability to project air and maritime forces is in competition with China's burgeoning capabilities to deter and deny such force projection. The outcome of this competition will impact the ability of either side to control the maritime and air approaches to East Asia and the U.S. ability to assure allies in the region. Nuclear disfavor versus nuclear renaissance. Nuclear ambitions in the U.S. and Russia over the last 20 years have evolved in opposite directions. Reducing the role of nuclear weapons in U.S. security strategy is a U.S. objective, while Russia is pursuing new concepts and capabilities for expanding the role of nuclear weapons in its security strategy. Other nuclear powers, such as Pakistan and potential aspirants, Iran and North Korea, desire nuclear weapons as compensation for other security weaknesses. Missile defense versus missile offense. The proliferation of standoff missiles to both state and non-state actors has become a feature of modern warfare. The threat these missiles pose to critical infrastructures economic, energy, political, etc., as well as to military forces, will increase as their ability to be precisely targeted or carry weapons of mass destruction increases. In response, some countries are making significant efforts to counter the threat through multi-layered missile defenses. It remains to be seen whether technologically advanced and expensive missile defense systems can keep pace with the increasing number of ballistic and cruise missiles that can be employed against them. Information superiority versus information denial. The traditional way of war for the U.S. and NATO allies depends on achieving information superiority to identify targets, employ precision-guided weapons, and maintain effective command and control. The ability of a future adversary to deny or mitigate that information advantage, including through widening the combat to outer space, would have a dramatic impact on the future conduct of war. China's development of capabilities to counter U.S. information superiority in a future conflict is an example of this type of competition. Regular versus irregular forms of combat. The competition between regular organized state-based military operations and decentralized irregular warfighting exhibited recently in Afghanistan and Iraq almost certainly will continue. This competition is not new, but the evolution of hybrid adversaries who combine irregular tactics with advanced standoff weaponry add new dimensions to it. Game Changer 4. 
Wider Scope of Regional Instability Regional dynamics in several different theaters during the next couple decades will have the potential to spill over and create global insecurity. The Middle East and South Asia are the two regions most likely to trigger broader instability. The number of potential conflicts in these two regions is rising. Many of these, once begun, could not be easily containable and would have global impacts. Changing dynamics in other regions would prove equally important for global security. An increasingly multipolar Asia, lacking a well-anchored regional security framework able to arbitrate and mitigate rising tensions, constitutes a significant global threat. An unstable Asia would cause large-scale damage to the global economy. A more inward-focused and less capable Europe would provide a less stabilizing force for crises in neighboring regions. Countries in Sub-Saharan Africa and Central America and the Caribbean will remain vulnerable, nevertheless, to state failure through 2030, providing safe haven to both global criminal and terrorist networks and local insurgents. The Middle East at a tipping point. By 2030, the Middle East will be a very different place, but the possibilities run a wide gamut from fragile growth and development to chronic instability and potential regional conflicts. Demographically, the youth bulge, a driving force for the recent Arab Spring, will give way to a gradually aging population as the social and economic impacts of declining fertility rates begin to manifest. With new technologies beginning to provide the world with other sources of oil and gas, the region's economy will need to become increasingly diversified in order to continue to grow. Like other emerging powers around the globe, highly populous Middle East countries could see their regional and potential global influence enhanced. The future of the Middle East hinges primarily on political developments in the region. If the Islamic Republic maintains power in Iran and is able to acquire nuclear weapons, the Middle East will face a highly unstable future. The collapse of the House of Saud could wreak havoc on the region's economy, and the emergence of a radical Islamist government in Egypt could exacerbate regional tensions on a variety of fronts. Fragmentation along ethnic and religious lines in Iraq and Syria could lead to an unraveling of current borders. On the other hand, the emergence of moderate democratic governments in these countries or a breakthrough agreement to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict could have enormously positive consequences. Our discussions with experts led us to identify six key determinants of the region's future, which we discuss below. One, will political Islam moderate as it assumes power? Political Islam, after the false start of the Islamic Salvation Front, FIS, election in Algeria over 20 years ago, is becoming empowered in the Sunni world. From the Justice and Development Party, AKP, in Turkey, 
to the Freedom and Justice Party, FJP, in Egypt, Ennahda in Tunisia, and Hamas in Gaza, and potential Islamic victories in Libya and Syria, the Middle East landscape is changing in profound ways. Islamic parties such as those in Egypt have responded with calls for expanding the safety net for the lower middle class, adding thousands of jobs to the public sector, and retaining subsidies on food and energy. These policies are not sustainable. Future ruling Islamic parties will become more market-oriented, empowering the more entrepreneurial younger Muslim Brotherhood, New Guard, and others who can grow the economy. Over time, political pragmatism could trump ideology helped by a growing civil society that will begin to produce a new cadre of pragmatic entrepreneurial and social leaders, something that authoritarian regimes consistently stifled. Islamic democracy almost certainly will mutate into a variety of political hues. Tunisian Islamic parties will be different from one another, but all of them will be intent on establishing their legitimacy in the new post-authoritarian era. In post-Assad Syria, it is likely that an urban Sunni would take power in a coalition comprising the Muslim Brotherhood, religious minorities, Druze, Kurds, and others. Before Hafiz Assad took power over 40 years ago, urban Sunni parties ruled Damascus in frequent and unstable governments. It may be back to the 1960s in Syria. In Iraq, the government is already showing signs of reverting to factionalism. In this case, the Shia are willing to share power with the Sunni Arabs or Kurds. If corruption and chronic unemployment persists, or if large segments of the working poor feel their lives have failed to improve with the election of democratic governments, they may choose to turn to political leaders who offer a more radical approach. Hardline Islamists may have greater popular appeal given their commitment to conservative religious principles, providing a clearly identified alternative to Western capitalism and democracy. Two, will governments in transition prevent civil strife? Chronic instability will be a feature of the region because of the growing weakness of the state and the rise of sectarianism, Islam, and tribalism. The challenge will be particularly acute in states such as Iraq, Libya, Yemen, and Syria, where sectarian tensions were often simmering below the surface as autocratic regimes co-opted minority groups and imposed harsh measures to keep ethnic rivalries in check. In event of a more fragmented Iraq or Syria, a Kurdistan would not be inconceivable. Having split up before, Yemen, with a weak central government, may do so again. Under any scenario, Yemen is likely to be a security concern with weak central government, poverty, unemployment, with a young population that will go from 28 million today 
to 50 million in 2025. Bahrain could also become a cockpit for growing Sunni-Shia rivalry, which could be destabilizing for the Gulf region. Over time, ongoing violence could undermine support for democratic governance and lead to the emergence of strongman dictators, propelling these countries away from liberal democracy. Regionally, weak governments mired in domestic violence and civil strife are unlikely to play a strong role, leaving non-Arab powers, especially Turkey, Iran, and Israel, as the major players. Can Middle Eastern countries fix their economies and ride the globalization wave? The fertility rate is coming down, but the youth bulge will last until 2030. At the same time, an aging population by 2030 may face a health care crisis, absent a better provisioned welfare system. Only 2% of global foreign direct investment, FDI, is currently going to the Middle East, and there is little to attract FDI apart from energy, tourism, and real estate. Many Middle Eastern countries are also far behind on technology and the region is one of the least integrated in trade and finance. The Middle East's traditional trade partner, Europe, is facing slower growth, although Sub-Saharan Africa, whose economy is expanding, could present increased opportunities. Quote, if the Islamic Republic maintains power in Iran and is able to acquire nuclear weapons, the Middle East will face a highly unstable future. End quote. The richer Gulf Corporation Council, GCC, countries are in a good position to help. GCC sovereign wealth funds have built up sizable assets in recent years, and a growing share of petrodollar wealth is likely to be invested in local and regional markets, including Egypt, Libya, and Tunisia. In addition, GCC states are turning more of their oil into refined products or petrochemicals to create value-added commodities. The Gulf is a magnet for investments from Asia, Europe, and elsewhere. Still, Gulf countries could face stiff challenges if oil supplies increase substantially from the exploitation of shale, gas, and oil deposits, which will undercut high energy prices. The fiscal break-even price of oil for Saudi Arabia keeps rising from $67 a barrel to more recent government figure of $100, suggesting spiraling budget expenditures that could outpace oil price rises without hikes in the internal oil price, which would reduce rising domestic consumption. Saudi Arabia is on course to become a net oil importer by 2037. End of section 7. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.